Welcome back to the Nick Finzer Audio Experience. Today we're throwing it back to Ask Nick episode number 78. We're talking about how long it takes to build a library of jazz standards and maybe a little bit about how to organize that library and a little bit of uh, context as to how many tunes maybe you should know at different stages in your life, that kind of stuff. We're talking about tunes that I've had to relearn, talking about tunes that sometimes, you know, for we forget. I know that I forget tunes and have to really learn them. And we also talk about putting too much pressure on yourself and how to handle uh, maybe let, giving yourself some grace in that situation. And um, so I'm excited to take a look at this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. If you didn't know, we are on a little bit of a hiatus from these live streams, uh, moving back towards a live performance. If you didn't see, I have a new record coming out in April of 2023, and my band will be touring all from New York and Nashville to Texas to Arizona and California all throughout the month of April. So check out those tour dates. I hope to see you out there. I hope you can check out the new record, Dreams, Visions, Illusions, and uh, enjoy the podcast. We'll catch you in the next one. We'll start off just talking about a couple exciting things that are happening. So we have, of course, last week we had Jason Smith from Con Selmer uh, join us, and we talked about the new uh, presenting sponsor for the UNT Jazz Trombone Day, which was super exciting. We announced that the UNT Con Selmer Jazz Trombone competition is open. Applications are open. Uh, you can find it in the links on Instagram bio. You can find it jazz, T-R-O-M-B dot O-N-E is jazz trombone. Uh, you can find all the application information there, and we'd love to have you. It's for 30 and under, all for young artists. Uh, we're excited to be um, partnering with Con Selmer on that, and I have another announcement about that I'm going to make uh, today, which is super exciting. Obviously, the King King uh, and Con Selmer are giving away the first prize winning prize. The first prize is going to be a King Jazz Trombone in that competition, and the second prize is going to be a custom slide from Butler Trombones. And so I'm excited to announce that Butler Trombones has agreed to be, be uh, coming on board and be involved with our Jazz Trombone Day. And they are going to be providing that custom uh, hand slide. For, uh, and if you don't know anything about Butler Trombones, you can check them out. But Dave Butler, a uh, great trombonist in his own right, is gonna be making, uh, he makes carbon fiber trombones and he makes also just parts for other trombones to replace with carbon fiber so it's not like an outer slide if you're a finalist it's going to be great because you're going to the top two and i know that we're going to have <clears throat> something for the a prize for the third and so all three finalists will have something that's coming up and that's november the 20th 2021 if you want to mark it down the competition is open now 30 and under it's due on september 1st uh, and then the second exciting thing from this week is if you saw, uh, we launched, we, meaning me, uh, launched a new duet book. And so that duet book is called Get To It, uh, kind of in the series and spirit of all of the other books that have come out recently. In the last, uh, I guess in the last eight years, it started with Get Ahead, which is my, which was my first book that came out in 2013. Kind of a, a method book to get you from zero to one. If you're a, a trombonist but doesn't play a lot of jazz, that's kind of... Uh, goes from zero to one there and gets you going style and phrasing and some transcriptions and stuff like that and then over the years we've got a, a warm-up book called get ready we got a etude book called get set we got um, a language book about how to uh, create and manipulate two five language called get language 
And then the, the new duet book that came out this week called Get To It. Anyway, in the duet book, there's we deal with a lot of things around improvisation for two trombones. There's all the normal stuff, blues, rhythm changes, Cherokee, stable mates, uh, all the things you are, take the A train, autumn leaves. It's all over, you know, standards that you probably already know. And uh, it gets you um, playing improvisations in a different way, you know, kind of playing improvisation, not just like go play anything, like specific improvisation games and limitations. Uh, have you played a carbon trombone? Thoughts? Uh, yes, I have. I played Dave's Butler's. I played him his at ITF this year. Uh, he had some new ones there. He, he made a um, like a 525. And this one, so he makes like totally carbon fiber trombones, like all like the bell section and the slide. And then he does some where he uh, makes like an outer slide just to put on a normal trombone. That's the rest of it is brass. My colleague from UNT, Tony Baker, has one of those for his King 2B. So it's super interesting. It plays a lot different. It resonates a lot different, but it's not like different in a bad way or anything. It's it's very interesting, and I think it's super super appropriate for anyone that has any sort of problems with tension and has any sort of problems with like their shoulders or their arms and like need a little bit less weight like you're not really sacrificing anything to be playing the carbon fiber and it's way lighter and it's pretty cool it's a little disconcerting it's that because it feels so much different what professional trombone player would you want backing you in a bar fight you know i think it would probably be steve teray i think he's pretty uh, burly and scary not really scary but i'll say steve teray when you wrote alternate agenda what kind of thoughts went through your head so this was one that I use as an example when I'm talking to students about trying to write tunes to practice certain um, concepts or ideas. So I was trying to learn how to use the modes of melodic minor. I was trying to learn how to play the diminished scale. This was like all an undergrad, right? So, and I was trying to contrast that with like Dorian, that Dorian mode. So creating a tune that had modal mixture. So anyway, the first part of the tune is melodic minor, and then the second half of the A sections are Dorian, kind of like Humpty Dumpty moving down in minor thirds. The bridge is um, all diminished, chord, diminished scales and octatonic sound. Um, I wanted it also to be kind of like stablemates, so I made it ABA instead of AABA. So the head is um, AABA, but the blowing is ABA. And I wanted it to be different because I was trying to be difficult in that <laughs> at that time. Uh, I was just trying to do something quote-unquote interesting. Whether or not it's interesting is kind of uh, up to you to decide, I suppose. How long did it take you to learn and build up a usable library of standards? Have you transcribed the changes for every single standard you've learned? I think we're always working on that library of standards. It takes years, I think, to really internalize them and, and learn them in a way where you feel super comfortable. But I think what's more important actually is learning how to identify chords orally with your ears because it's pretty likely you're going to forget. I know I forget the changes to something. So, But if I learn it on piano, then it's less likely that I'm going to forget the changes. But if you learn how to identify the sound of the chords, the sound of the um, key centers, the sound of the flow of key centers, you can kind of remember it that way. And then, like, then I just have to remember, like, one thing about a tune for example like does it start on one does it not start on one is it rhythm changes with a different bridge is it something so i can relate it to something else uh, in order to minimize the amount of like phone number remembering like chord 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 right so i think about it in like big gestures you know and then i don't sweat all the small stuff i just try to hear it and so the more you develop your ear the easier it is to be able to hear what's happening and not have to literally 
like be able to write it out exactly. You know, there's a lot of tunes that if I heard one chorus of it, I'd be like, oh yeah, I know this. But I would say it took a long time. I mean, when I was an undergrad, I couldn't do that when I was an undergrad. So it took all of that time plus all of my time at Juilliard. So that took six years. And I don't know as many tunes as a lot of other people. Always been hard for me to remember tunes and have opportunities to play tunes. I think trombonists often don't have as many opportunities to play small group gigs and play just play tunes. So we end up not using that information as much. I remember all the tunes of the bands that I used to play in. So I was like, oh, if I had spent that time playing standards, I would also remember the standards a little bit more deeply. You know, I think a pace of like, if you can do one tune a month, you know, you're doing pretty good. If you can go faster, that's also great, you know, but in the scheme of things, if you can add one that you're like super duper comfortable with every month, over the course of 10 years, you'll have plenty of tunes. And the thing is, like, you don't usually only get to play what you want to play. You know, you usually have to talk with other musicians and find common ground. So if you keep going off into the deep ends, like, you know, different friend groups in New York, like, they get super deep into one thing or another thing, maybe call obscure tunes. But then when you go somewhere else, like, you might not be able to play those tunes because people don't know those tunes in that city. What tunes have you had to relearn the most? Dolphin Dance. Dolphin Dance is the tune that I've learned and unlearned and relearned the most times. I think even right now, I would have to relearn it. I think there's like a block there. Because no one really knows what the changes are, and because there's so many different ways, and it's been played badly so many times, I think I'd block it out. I mean, I know generally what it is if we started playing it. I know the melody, but in terms of the changes, Dolphin Dance is one that always needs a refresher after a long time of being away from it. Bebop heads sometimes, like unfamiliar bebop heads for sure. Or like sometimes like you forget the details. Like even on a tune like Confirmation, like if you don't play it a lot, it goes out of your muscle memory. And then it's not that you can't play most of it. There's some that you learn like pretty well and then you step away for a little while and then like the details, they get away from you. Because on trombone, it's pretty easy to just like mess it up. But like on saxophone, you gotta know what the notes are. But trombone you can kind of get away with a little like flubbing sometimes so you kind of rely on that kind of like thing and uh, to get through when you can't remember i've also relearned moments notice a bunch of times I, I know it well enough now that i don't have to relearn it but i definitely had to relearn it several times would you say most of your uni slash college peers uh continued into music after their education what about your students yeah my friends from eastman there's not that many of them left in the music area just to be straight up a bunch of them still play for sure but not all of them granted my class at eastman was kind of small if we're just talking about my class but in general most people a lot of people are still playing music but and my students uh some of them are in music and some of them aren't i haven't been teaching so long that i have such a long list of college students that i know exactly what everyone's doing um some of my students from florida state when i'm thinking back they're still they're all still playing one is pretty active in the tampa scene one is doing super well he lives in new orleans his name is tj norris and he um, plays with the dirty dozen brass band doing a bunch of things and then my more recent students some of them are if maybe stopped playing some of them have you know moved home some of them are just taking some time off from the horn you know they just want to take some time off and so i wouldn't say that any of them totally stopped they might have stopped for now i think that's more a reflection of our current times than it is about you know playing trombone but it's hard i mean it's not the easiest path to try to be a jazz musician or a jazz trombonist in particular and only uh only play you know you got to do a lot of things miki do you think streaming concerts are over for the audience 
Um, I do think it's oversaturated a bit, but I don't think that they're going to go away. And I think you should keep doing what you've been doing. If you didn't know, if you don't know Miki, Miki is an amazing pianist. She's in New York. And uh, she has a new record coming out in September. She has a couple of records out now if you want to go check her out. But she's also played on a couple of my video projects of Chick Corea. Oh, she's on that too. Now he sings, now he sounds. But we did a bunch of Herbie Hancock tunes from Speak Like a Child. And she played on those videos too. But I think that the ability to connect with the audience from anywhere in the world is pretty amazing. And that it's going to continue. So you might have ups and downs you know i think that people do want to see what you're up to especially musicians especially young musicians especially people who can't get to new york to hear and see music i think that there's an audience there uh, that will continue i think right now it might be oversaturated and people want to take a break from it but you know in a year i think that it'll be uh, a great way to continue to build and connect with your audience i mean look at emmett emmett cohen if you haven't seen emmett's emmett's thing it's been growing and growing and growing and he just sticks to every every week. If you don't know, so so Mickey and Jimmy McBride have been doing a series from their living room. So I think it's on Wednesdays, is it? and so you can check that out. So Miki Yamanaka. How would you go about practicing the sound you would want to sound like? Yeah. So first of all, uh, you got to have a really strong why to your sound. You have to know what you want it to sound like, obviously, but why you want it to sound that way, and you have to be able to describe it. I have a workshop I do with trombonists sometimes where we do like a sound concept workshop and we just talk about sound sound concept identify what are the things that you like how do we create a mental image of that sound how do we describe it who is it like who is it unlike and then you play long tones until you get that sound basically and so then you try to imagine what that sound would sound like try to make it every time you're playing long tones uh, and then slowly but surely that concept will uh, be met by your practice so it's not going to happen most of the time that they'll meet exactly because usually you'll, your concept evolves faster than your actual playing. So it'll keep changing and you'll have to keep adapting and trying to reach for that sound concept that you haven't gotten to yet. Are there any approaches to learning scales that is not productive or is it just a matter of accepting it as a very long process? I think there's different ways of learning scales for different people and depending on what makes sense. But there's, there's learning it and then there's internalizing it. And I think the most productive way is to is to internalize something one thing at a time. So sticking with one thing for longer rather than jumping around and trying to learn 12 scales at the same time, just say, I'm going to learn C major today and I'm going to play it. You get into your muscle memory. You have to do the same thing over and over and over again. So sometimes what I like to do is when I'm doing something that I'm trying to get into my muscle memory, I practice differently than something that I'm trying to play musically. When I'm trying to play musically, work on a tune, transcribe, like I'm totally focused on the act of that. And when I'm trying to get something into the muscle memory, doing the same repetitions over and over and over and over, watching a sports game or watching TV or doing something else, watching some YouTube, you know, just trying to practice the slide positions. And, and so kind of making practice for those different things. So there's practice where I'm thinking about music versus practice when I'm thinking about getting something into the muscle memory. So that could be scales, it could be arpeggios, it could be a pattern, uh, any of those type of things. So trying to do too much at one time is not usually very productive. Uh, whether at Eastman or Juilliard, did you ever put too much expectation on yourself that it took away from playing your best or just being in the moment when playing with people? Yeah, for sure. There was a long time where I tried, I was always trying to figure out what the professor or what the teacher or band leader wanted me to play. I struggled with that for a long time. Like, what does that person want me to play? Trying to play that way. Even though I knew that that wasn't really like how I play or how I should play or like what 
is appropriate to the music at that moment, I would just try to be like, okay, this teacher likes it if I do this. If I play weird, he's gonna like it. If I play uh, super old school, she's gonna like it. You know, like that kind of thing. And definitely got in the way. That you have to just realize, you know, as a student, give you a little behind the scenes of like being a professor, right? So I believe it's our job to, obviously, yes, we're supposed to critique the students and offer them suggestions on how to get better, right? That's our goal is to help you get better. But it's also just to try, it's also to try to push you uh, beyond your, what you're doing right now. So for example, like sometimes there's not that much to say, like it was good, you know, and you don't want to just say it was good. That's not very helpful. So like you have to, you know, make suggestions or say like, oh, well, you also could have done X, Y, or Z. So, you know, usually probably it seems like the professor always has something negative to say, but it's not that, you know, you're trying to be negative or always have some kind of correction or whatever. It's just that we're always trying to push you to think about it another way or like, well, it also could be like this. Like, have you thought about that? And then so realizing that it's just like a, it's a discussion. It's an ongoing evolving process. And it's not like this is right and this is wrong. I mean, some people are that way, but you know, at least the way that I think about it, it's like, yes, I'm always going to have something to say because I'm always going to just try to challenge you to think like, what else could it, could you do with this thing? Just to say, all right, that was cool, and then move on. Like, it's not super helpful. So you shouldn't feel, at least I hope, that my students don't feel like when I'm offering something, it's always because that was bad. It's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's like, okay, so we did it that way. Well, what if we also tried it this way and this way? Because that's just trying to, you know, get deeper into the music. Dr. B says he loves Michael D's sound. Same. How would you describe it? Big horn needed for that sound. No, he doesn't play a big horn. He did at different times. So on different records, it sounds a little bit different. But he's playing a Yamaha now without a valve. I think he plays a 508. Sometimes, I, I mean, he let me sit in and play his horn once and it was a big wrath. But no, your sound concept is not tied to the to, totally to the instrument that you play. It can be related to it and it, one can help the other. It's not always the case. It's not like you must have this to be this. In some cases it is because you're if you're trying to sound like Slide Hampton from the early 2000s, that's a huge straight bass trombone and you're not going to get that sound on a King 2B. So in some cases, but in most cases, it's more of a mental thing than anything else. And trying to uh, adjust equipment for me is the last resort. I always think about that as the very last resort. Did you ever keep a musician who didn't like you, your music and your band because you thought that you needed to earn their respect? Oh, wow. I guess the answer is no, because I've never thought about it. Because um, I probably wouldn't have called them in the first place, I guess. I don't think you can really like make that happen. Like you can't make someone respect you other than do by just doing what you do. You know, like it's not gonna like change that way that they think because you can't do that. You can't make them feel a different way. You can't make them change. You know, so they're they're just not going to at a certain point. And so you just have to do just have to be the best version of how you want to play and your music and what fits your music the best. You know, there's a classic, not conundrum, but kind of a conversation when you're looking at putting a project together and putting a new a new band together like do you get big names because they're going to draw big names uh, or do you get people that are most appropriate for the music or do you get people that are within your budget or do you just ask your friends you know there's all these different considerations for what it's going to be and at different points I think you make different decisions because at some point in some points the purpose of a project or purpose of a band is to get attention. And at some points, the, the purpose is to make your original music come to life. And at some point, 
it's about sustaining your career and trying to pa pass things forward to the next generation. Maybe you want to hire younger musicians. So at all different times, it's kind of all different um, answers to like what is appropriate and what is the best course of action to take. But personally, and I think in the scene and in general, people usually don't want to be around other people that are a drag. And so I would just get rid of them. If they don't like your music and they're just there, there's no reason for them to continue to be in your band, I would say. There's enough problems already to deal with in this music and in this life that uh, that's not one that I would be willing to put up with. It's much like Marie Schneider in her record Data Lords. How would you best describe this debate and how much technology is affecting the way we use our recourses of compared to years ago? I like to think of technology as a tool and that you use a tool. And if you let the tool use you, it's no longer a tool. Unlimited resources, but also unlimited competition and also unlimited access, uh, which makes you unlimitedly distracted, you know, all of those things. You know, you have to be more creative than ever in, in the uh, pursuit of getting your music out there, getting yourself out there. You know, we have a pretty small pie to, if you just want to say, I'm a jazz musician and I'm only going to play for other jazz fans. You have to be creative in the way that you approach your career and approach the music that you're putting out and realize that everything has a purpose, a creative purpose and also a career purpose like what is the purpose of this music is exist solely for itself and that's great but you can't build onward and onward and onward with only doing the most uh, artistic thing without any consideration for the audience right the biggest issue i find as a learner and an educator with all these resources like you mentioned is that people get too um, diffuse in what they're trying to check out so like They'll check out one record of a thousand people rather than trying to figure out what they like and what's really going to be effective. You know, you have to have a good balance of like what your teacher is telling you to learn plus what you want to learn. Because if you never learn what you want to learn, you're going to be a little sad that you're not learning anything you want to learn. So you have to do both and you have to kind of dive a little bit deeper than going wide. I always say go deep and not wide. Because like you have to, pick, there's not enough time. You're, there's literally not enough time to hear all the jazz records. So what are you going to do about it? You can't hear them all, period. You know, there's everything that's historically important. There's everything that your teachers are on. There's everything that you're on. There's everything that your peers are on. Just not enough time. So you can't know it all. So you have to pick who are you going to be your influences. You're going to go deep into them because you love their music. You love how they play. And you're going to go deep into it. And so I say like learn 20 JJ solos, not two. You know, that means that you're not going to transcribe as much of Albert Mengelsdorf or something. Be uh, diligent about using the resources to your advantage and not getting distracted. And that's very, very difficult. All right. Well, I got to wrap it up for today. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, one more time, the Jazz Trombone Day, UNT, Con Selmer, King Trombone Competition is now open. Uh, those are due on September the 1st. So let's get those happening. Send them. The um, form is there on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can find it wherever to submit. It's totally free, 30 and under, 18 and under, and 30 and under uh, competition. So please do enter. Get to it. The new duet book is out now. Uh, I hope you can check it out. I'll be posting some videos coming up in the next couple weeks of some of the tunes from there. And uh, I hope you can check it out. And I'd love to hear your versions of those tunes as well. So. Uh, if you want to record them and send them, I'd love to hear it. Or if you want to try to play a duet together, uh, let's try to do that sometime. So thanks for being here. 
I'll catch you all very, very soon.